0: Welcome to the Grace South Bay Church Podcast. I'm Matt Cabot, your host and elder at Grace South Bay. Each week we have a QA and a conversation with our pastors about their sermons. We talk theology and we get into the Bible. And we discuss how to live out our faith as Christians in the Silicon Valley and beyond. Today we continue our conversation on our sermon series from the book of Nehemiah. In a sermon titled, People, Power, and fear Pastor Bob explores what it means to fear the Lord, and how we can use our power and privilege to bless other people. We'll discuss all that and more today as we dive into Nehemiah chapter 5. Glad you're with us. Let's dig in. So Bob, Nehemiah in this chapter twice uses the term fear of the Lord, and of course the term can be found throughout the Bible, what does it mean?
1: Well, Matt, I I think it has some slightly different nuances depending on context. So, you know, sometimes fear of the Lord means living in awe of God, right? Having the greatest respect for Him, showing Him uh, the honor that He is due. Um, Other times, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, meaning, you know, pick the greatest, most powerful, Mm -hmm. most beautiful thing, to base your life around. Live in recognition of God's greatness and holiness. Don't settle for less, right? Don't settle for the fear of money or fame or human glory, right? So it's sort of like, what is at the center of the solar system of your life? Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, But then in in, in cases like this, sometimes it really means simply fear, um, Hmm. the way that we typically think about the word fear, right? Don't you fear God? Aren't you afraid of mocking him and, and taking him for granted or assuming he's not watching? Right, God will respond. God will not be mocked. And if you choose a life path that is contradictory to his will and character, particularly if you're someone who claims to follow him,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you should be afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God will defend his honor and name. And I think... That's the appropriate meaning here because for, because, for scenes, this passage, the point is abusing or not abusing power and status at the expense of other people. If you exploit people, especially in God's name, hmm. expect God to respond to that.
0: So, what was the situation that um, Nehemiah was addressing that made him question whether the people feared the Lord?
1: Well, uh, as we, we talked about in the sermon, the higher classes, um, people with uh, more, more property and more wealth, using their wealth to extract uh, high interest payments, high rents, uh, to appropriate land, or even save the children uh, of, of the poorer people, and, and not just any people, these were fellow Jews. And it's, you know, Nehemiah explains, you know, they were raising money to buy uh, fellow Jews out of slavery uh, who were enslaved to the surrounding Gentiles, surrounding non-Jews, but then these rich Jews uh, would turn around and enslave them again. Hmm. Uh, and then on top of all that, of course, there were excessive taxes to be paid to the Persian Empire that, that were, you know, even harder purely on sort of the, 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 the small family farmers. Now, this situation uh, was quite common even up into our time, right? This is the small family farmer often caught up in debt because harvests differ from year to year. You need good credit to be able to make it through the bad years. Hmm. Um, In fact, our modern banking system with uh, much more flexible credit exists partly because farmers demanded access to reliable and less exploitive credit. Um, Back to Nehemiah, God had rescued his people. He had brought back Many to Jerusalem and, and to the surrounding region of Judah. He given them favor in the emperor's eyes. But, but your exploit, poor fellow Jews, right? Don't you hmm. get? Don't you see God is at work among us? Don't you think he might discipline us if we treat our brothers like this? Didn't God discipline our forefathers for doing similar things? Don't you fear God? Hmm. That's what's that's what's behind
0: Nehemiah's question. So when we look at this passage uh, and think about how to, to apply it to us today, um, how do we do that for, for, for us living in the Silicon Valley?
1: You know, I mean, it's it's first of all um, worthwhile to, to question. You know, is it, is it, it are things like this happening right. uh, today? And 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 we we know we know things like this are happening. Happening. Know that predatory lending is happening all over the world and our country as well. Uh, we know people get caught in debt spirals and lenders confiscate whatever property or value they might own. We also know that slavery uh, exists still in the world today. Sometimes families have to sell their children hmm. into slavery, even into the the sex trade, in order to survive. And that's that's quite disturbing to hear, uh, but it is happening. And this situation is one of the reasons why uh, things like affordable debt and microloans have done so much to alleviate poverty. In the developing Mm -hmm. world. Um, Now, it's a little bit different when you ask, you know, how does this apply to us today in Silicon Valley? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and 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 the way that I try to apply it is, you know, we we can recognize few of us, probably none of us, are predatory lenders or slumlords, right? And Mm -hmm. we're not actively participating in the slave trade, Mm -hmm. and we actually don't want to get ahead or build wealth. By hurting people, I mean, I think that's, I can speak for all of us in our congregation. Yet the global economy is totally interconnected. So the the product services we buy and use, maybe even the global corporations we work for, could could in some way be exploiting the poor original. And this is something we have to be thoughtful about, at least thoughtful about. Mm -hmm. What we cannot do is say, you know, that for the sake of a good night's sleep or a positive mood or a good time or more money in my pocket, I'm not going to inquire how these products got here, how they were made, who made them, how they were treated. Uh, exploitation and justice exists on a large scale, and we should be disturbed by it and careful not to profit from it. Mm-hmm. But probably more importantly, we need to investigate our attitude toward wealth and status and power. Do we put people ahead of these, these things, or do we use pe- people to get us more of these things? That, that's right off here in this passage, right? Who doesn't want more wealth? more status, power? We all do, but are we willing to hurt others to get it? Are we willing to look the other way, uh, away from injustice, to get it? And what does God say about wealth and status and power? What if instead of accumulating these things, we are to use them to help others flourish? <laughs> and I think that might be the, the sweet spot for us here in Silicon Valley in applying this passage.
0: So just a point of clarification then, um, is it possible to generate wealth without exploitation?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, we're, we are all consumers in a global economy. To that extent, we are all, all slightly tinged with you know, exploitation in terms of 100 degrees of recession. Somewhere along the way, probably someone or something has been misused. Um, but I don't think someone is extra exploitive by creating wealth. Mm. And I think there are ways of creating wealth while being very intentional about blessing customers, workers, the surrounding community, right? I talked about this in, in James 5, about one of our elders, right, who wants to have the highest paid workers in his industry. And, and that might be a, a great model for building wealth, but it will certainly bless his employees, hmm. right? So, so there's nothing inherently sinful about wealth create creation uh, or being wealthy. But if we believe in total depravity, which good Calvinists do, then we should assume there is more exploitation and oppression in our global economy than we'd like to admit and and we might in some way or another be involved in it and it would be in our own selfish prideful interests to not pay attention to that we would we want to close our eyes to it and we shouldn't
0: so if we're if we're taking this passage to heart and we want to kind of reflect on our lives how do we assess whether our means of acquiring wealth is exploiting people or not man
1: that's a really, really, really good question, and and I'm sure um, um, there are there are resources that we could we could look to, um, you know, I, I, and of course there are just some simple questions to ask, right? Is it, in in the way that we are creating wealth, let's say it's through our work, right? Is the good or service that we are providing is it a quality good at a fair price? I mean, like that's hmm. the basics, right? Like. Hmm. Um, are, are we, are we putting out something good, a a good or a service, um, and, and charging a fair price for that? Are the workers involved in that process being paid a fair wage for an honest day's work? You know, and you, you, you tell that is, I don't know, but like, Mm -hmm. like, you know, at at least these are some basic questions for us to be asking, asking if we're building wealth stocks and bonds, do we have grasp of the various companies, products and, and labor policy? Right. If, if the only variable we care about is maximizing profit, we might find ourselves unwittingly participating in exploitation. So I, I don't think the only thing we can care about is, you know, the bottom line profit wealth generation. We have to think about how is that wealth generated? We have to be looking into those things and and it's going to differ for every person depending on what they're doing and how they're generating wealth. And of course, of course, we have to be careful here here, man, because... We cannot create some new kind of holiness or purity. The world yeah. is tarn- tarnished by sin every inch, which means we're, we're not going to get away uh, from this. If we don't want to participate in, in in any kind of exploitive economic system, right, then we got to go live off the land foraging for our yeah. own food and knitting our own clothes and, and living <laughs> in stick huts. I mean, honestly, that's what—and yeah, right. and so it's— you know, this, this is very dangerous because it can lead to a, a, a new kind of Phariseeism, hmm. Puritanism, and we see this, right? I mean, we see this right. around all kinds of, you know, uh, hot-button issues this day. So the so point here isn't pure pure. The point is, is to not be oblivious, to not shut our hmm. eyes, ears to exploitation that is very likely happening right? Which means, you know, we don't get to be blissfully naive and unaware. Like I said, I think in the sermon, it, it's not God's plan for us to have a nice, comfortable, upper-middle-class life. That's that's not what he has called us to. He gives us beautiful things to enjoy, but not to hold on to them and grasp them and hoard them. And that's what these people were doing. That's what these nobles were doing in Judah. And Nehemiah is like, don't, you know, don't you get it? This is hmm. this is not all for you and for your enjoyment and your glory and, and your at us.
0: mm-hmm So, is exploiting people and neglecting people equally bad in God's eyes? <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, 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 man, that's yeah. That's uh, uh, this is authority question. This is yeah. Uh, this is for the the medieval uh, bishops yeah. and philosophers to figure <laughs> right, out, right. but uh, yes. you certainly don't want a preacher uh, preaching to Silicon Valley, people saying, gee, God would rather you neglect people than exploit them. Um, right. But, you know, on one well, I'm hand... I'm just thinking
0: about in terms of, of like, is there a degree? Because my feeling yeah. is that most of us don't exploit people, maybe. Yep. But we might be neglecting people. Yeah,
1: and I think yeah. that's a, 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 a very, very useful nuance, and so it is worth exploring, right? So mm-hmm. on the one hand, all sin is equally bad in God's eyes. It's mm-hmm. sin, right? It, it's, it falls short of the glory of God. On the other, we know, like Jesus says, it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the last day than for Bethsaida and Capernaum, because they you know, physically, directly mm-hmm. rejected Jesus. So it seems like the gravity of one's sin depends somewhat on their situation. So like James says in chapter 4 of his epistle, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, do it for him is sin, right? Mm. So there, there 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 are situational specifics here to the gravity of sin. So I think there can be cases where one person's neglect of someone in need is as bad as another person's exploitation. Depending on all the different variables, but if we want to abstract this, and I'm I'm not sure we do, but to boil it down, make everything equal, <laughs> someone intentionally exploits someone right. versus another intentionally neglecting them in their exploiting condition. You know, it, it seems like the, the person who did the harm has sinned more than the person person who refuses to help help affect. But but again, if you know the right thing to do is to help to help neglect, for for you it is sin, and hmm. you know I think this is one of the issues that. Needs to be spoken about more, um, just in terms of um, all all of these values around the the dignity of the individual and and wanting to, you know, make sure everyone has a, a decent chance and and decent opportunity. These are Christian values. Right? These are mm-hmm. biblical values. No other no other culture came up with this, and and so even now we're moving on to a secular world. The secular world is is standing on the, on the shoulders of Christendom, and so hmm. it, it's awesome that the majority of people don't want to exploit other people, even though that was absolutely uh, just assumed and practiced in the ancient world. So thank God, uh, you know, particularly the church and Christians have sort of moved the needle culturally so that all of us are against exploitation. On paper, we're all against exploitation. It mm-hmm. still happens, but but what we aren't necessarily against, or what we have a much much time doing, is, is getting involved and not neglecting the people who might it, it be. And so I think I think, I think you're right uh, to to bring up that question.
0: Mm-hmm. So you said in in your sermon that the issue in our church is not necessarily the love of money, but the fear of money. How so?
1: Well, you know, I just don't think they're really greedy, acquisitive people in our church. Um, yeah. I, I think all of us, are, I think we're all playing very defensively, Matt. Um, we want enough money to, to launch our kids. I mean, we, we desperately mm-hmm. don't want our kids to fall behind. Um, we want enough money to, to keep our homes from falling apart. Um, we need to own a home because it feels like renting in a place is just so waste- wasteful. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we'd be building that equity, Maybe make modest upgrades to our homes, but no one no one's looking for a mansion. Um, you know we don't want to be destitute in retirement or be a burden on anyone, our church, our kids. We want to be able to afford de- decent decent health care. So you know mm. I don't think of this as greed or love for money, but we consider these kinds of things basic to who we are, who we ought to be, um, what are you know our, our our minimum standards, and we need money for these things, so we are afraid of not having enough. To do what we consider to be the basics of a decent human life. And now it's so funny because when we think about it, about it millions of people in our own country cannot afford healthcare or college for their kids or a home. They have nothing set aside for retirement. So we know plenty of people live with different expectations about life. But this is our demographic and social class and our right. culture. This is what we expect from ourselves. Not attaining these things feels like abject failure. So hmm. we live in fear of money of not having enough to afford what we consider these basic necessities that we expect from ourselves and for our kids. So, you know, some of these things over, add add all up what I just said there, you know, housing, healthcare, mm. college, retirement. The, the, the total millions of dollars over a dec- decade, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of money we need to make just to, just to stay in our social class and not feel like failures and feel left behind. So if we allow it, money has great power over us to tell us if we, are, if we are OK or not, and therefore we fear it.
0: Well, so why shouldn't we fear it then?
1: Well, I would say because what I just described in terms of how we define failure and success—that's not mm-hmm. true. <laughs> that, that is, yeah. that is absolutely not true. That's you know uh, one of the gospels of the Silicon Valley. You know, like mm-hmm. basically uh, fulfillment and, and ult- ultimately comes down to to the sorts of basics. Your kids are are thriving, and thriving means you know you know they're live coast and have gone to a great college. Um, you know, you own a house, and you have plenty saved up for retirement, and you do some things, awesome things in the mountains, and go to wineries and good trips. and And I'm not talking about extravagant lifestyle here, right? Um, right. But but this is the the gospel uh, for Silicon Valley and, and other kinds of you know coastal global elite places. And it's not true. It's mm-hmm. not true. So when we when we think about like how we need this much money simply to stay afloat and if we don't have that we have failed and we can't live with ourselves that is a lie and, and that slaves us to money and that's the problem
0: do you think if we if we feared money less we would be more um, free to bless other people with our money
1: well absolutely and again it's 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 not that it's not that we fear money so much as that we fear not having right. these other things and so yes if if we if we did not tie our self-respect, our self-esteem, our identity to those things, um, then yes, then there, there'd be a lot of money over uh, to do cool things with, or, or we wouldn't feel like we needed so much of a cushion, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or so much in reserve. Um, you know, we wouldn't have such, such high standards for what we need to build up for ourselves. And, and so many of us think about like well, like, well, once I have, have these things built up, up, you know, college, house, retirement, well, then I can bless people with money. Um, and of course, that, that day hardly ever comes. So I do think that um, if we were defining our identities differently, really around Jesus, around knowing God and walking with Him, if, if that were more of our core identity, um, there'd be a lot of money left over for us to do beautiful things with.
0: Mm-hmm. So one of the, the, the key issues in this passage is um, a power and privilege— um, how, what would it look like practically for us to give up our power and privilege?
1: Yeah, you know, and and maybe giving up is the wrong word or, or the wrong phrase, the wrong way of talking about power and privilege. Because in one sense, uh, or in many cases, you cannot give it up or give it away. Um, you know, the the term that we see in scriptures that Jesus emptied Himself, and in and, and what he did is he emptied Himself of the of the rights. Of, hmm. of his status, and, and he emptied himself of the ability um, to, to use his power to acquire more power, right? He didn't grasp and uh, press his rights. Um, um, so, you know, I, I think the term give it up means, you know, to use your power and privilege, not to acquire more power and privilege, or to simply mm-hmm. extract enjoyment from power and privilege, but to use it in your sphere of influence for the flourishing of the people and the world around you, right? So instead of using these things as resources to build your up your name and build up your experiences, instead use them to not just enjoy good things for yourself, but also to bring flourishing to others around you. So this is where I brought up the examples of parenting and managing at work and so forth. In almost every, every scenario, we have some amount of power and status. Managing at work, for instance, like, like I said in the sermon, it, you know, Is our main goal the bottom line of hitting our number, hitting our quota for the quarter? Or is our main goal, in addition to performing well uh, in the quarter, also to see mm. that the people under our leadership are treated well, compensated well, trained to move upward and forward, cared for in their unique giftedness, right? There's two different ways here of using that power and status that you might have as a manager. We see this with Jesus in the Gospels, right? Mm. So so often, he had a choice to identify primarily as a law-abiding Jewish rabbi, and obviously was a man. And in that world, he had some status, or he could have had him status. And what was so perplexing about him, and turned the Pharisees off, is that he didn't seem to care about that status. He was happy to identify with and be around mm. people of lower status, women, notoriously sinful women, Gentiles, the sick, beggars, sinners, tax collectors, Right. Jesus was letting go of the, the the perks and and privileges of his status and and the social value, and then he was conferring it onto the people who had less of it. He was transferring in that sense, and he paid a price for that. Can we do that? Can we do that in, in our workplaces, in our churches, neighborhoods, schools? We operate in such, such a way that we use the, the power and the value of our status and privilege uh, to, to bring in the marginalized or to help those who, who might be hurting, right? That's the, that's the question.
0: Mm-hmm. So you use the term communal fairness and justice in your sermon. Can you unpack what you mean by that?
1: Sure. Yeah, and, and that was uh, part of the list of examples of areas uh, where we have power in terms mm-hmm. of voting. Right, if we are citizens, we have the right to vote. We have at least a little power. Power uh, in that we can vote, and vote local, state, and national elections. I, I was just trying to give a number of different areas uh, help people recognize where they have some power and status. Mm-hmm. And, and my point, like in all the examples, was juxtaposing two different mindsets or attitudes. In this case, it was about voting. Some people say, you know, you should just simply vote your, your personal interests. Um, if you feel like you pay too much in taxes, vote for lower taxes. And if every individual votes their personal interests, then in the end we'll reach some kind of efficient solution where the most people get what they want. That's one way of looking at it. I'm suggesting we look at voting as a duty and responsibility to try to learn what is best both for myself and my com- community. And sometimes what's good for me actually isn't good for my community, and we have to be th- to be thoughtful about that. So I hope our people vote based on a larger concept than personal self-interest, really the the thriving and flourishing of the community and, and, and justice, whether it's local, national, global, whatever. That's what I was getting at, and I— I, I think everyone mm-hmm. has their own opinion of what communal fairness and justice is, right? Some think we need more uh, fair distribution of wealth. Others want to focus on lower barriers of entry in various industries. Some want to focus on policing. Others want to focus on abortion. I'm certainly not going to tell people how to how to, but I will will tell them they need to be thinking mm-hmm. about more than just themselves when they vote. And, and that's what it is to mm-hmm. use our power for the flourishing of others, even our political power.
0: So you mentioned the, the the term to a default toward generosity. What would that look like?
1: Mm. I think what it, what it starts with is um, not having this grasping attitude. Again, getting back to Philippians two, right, mm. where where Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or, or clenched or you know hung on onto dear life. Um, and so if we are not thinking about that, that it, it's all up to us, it's, it's all up to our hard work, right? It, it's all up to our wisdom uh, to make sure that we are well provided for and to make sure that we hit our goals and to make sure that we, we you know, stay uh, in some sense, you know, self-respecting, then we can have a, a, an open hand, right? And And if we have an open hand, that's going to be a default toward generosity in the sense that my first thoughts aren't, you know, what, what will this cost me? Um, what will I lose if I, you know, give this a, this a whatever it might be, time, talent, treasure? Um, you know, uh, if, if, we, if we are thinking about, if, our, if, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and He is at the center of our solar system, and if we're thinking about first the, the ways that He has blessed us and graced us, right, if that's sort of the foundation of, of how we think about ourselves mm-hmm. in the world, well, then we can default toward generosity. We can default toward grace because we understand that's the way of the world. It's not a zero sum game. It's not a world of scarcity, and that's something that um, you know a number of people are talking about these days, like Brene Brown, in terms of all of all of us if walk around thinking uh, that we live in a world of scarcity. It's a zero sum game. That if I give a little here, then then you know that's gone forever, and and what have I lost? But if there is a God who has entered history. And has overturned sin and death, um, and He is infinite and and all powerful. Then we actually don't live in a world of scarcity, and we can be open handed mm-hmm. uh, toward others and and open handed toward creation and open handed toward God. And so, what would it look like on an individual level? I mean, it could be, and I think we might talk more about this. I mean, it could you could talk about it in terms of in terms of your space. You know, in terms of how people. In in your home, it, it it talk about in terms of your bank account, in terms of how much you give away. You can talk about in terms of your calendar, calendar. How much time do you have for other people and, and important things? Um, you know, so you can talk about in terms of uh, your, you know, y- your different marks of of status and privilege. In terms of, are you always trying to connect with people of similar status or higher status, or are you willing to socialize and and connect with people who are not? Um, and, and, you know, that's in mm-hmm. some sense giving away some of your status. So all that happens happen when we are really, again, focusing on Jesus and what he has done for us.
0: Yeah, in fact, let's unpack that a bit more. So you in your sermon you talked about uh, uh, takers and givers, mm-hmm. and that Christ can transform us from being takers into givers— uh, at, you know, at the risk of alienating everyone in our church, <laughs> how big of a problem is this for us? <laughs>
1: well, you know, I, I think our people are uh, far more generous than mm-hmm. the average person in the South Bay. And, you know, the, but the issue is we, we live in a highly consumeristic culture, mm-hmm. uh, very appearance-oriented. Um, um, our culture values autonomy and individual freedom and expression. And 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 these values can work on all of us uh, to make us more like entitled takers, um, mm-hmm. and, and so we have to be mindful of this, right? This is the way of the current world, and the evil forces uh, use it to pull all of us away from the truth. Givers are not rewarded in our culture unless they do so in a flashy, big way, like uh, Jeff Bezos' mm-hmm. ex-wife giving away you know billions of dollars, right? That that makes the mm-hmm. headlines, but. You right. give away, away some weeknight evenings to two at-risk kids, um, that doesn't make the head- headline, right? Society is not mm. going to reward you for that. Um, and so there isn't any, you know, natural reinforcement mechanism here, uh, for being uh, a giver, uh, being a taker, our mm. culture rewards if, if you do it in ways that doesn't, you know, really upset, uh, the, the powers that be, um, so that's why it's important we recognize that when we give ourselves away in obedience to God, when we empty ourselves, God fills us with the Spirit of His Son. We give in order to get not status, not accolades, not not we get God Himself mm-hmm. the greatest reward. And I do, and I do is one of the missing pieces for Christians forkins in Silicon Valley, right? We we want to honor God and glorify Him, um, but we don't get that He is our reward. Knowing God more and more deeply is what we are made for and what will gratify us the most. And when we pursue Him in selfless, sacrificial obedience, we get more of Him, right? I mean, Paul says, to live as mm. Christ, to die is gain, right? I mean, he considers everything else rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I mean, I, I want that, right? I want that mm-hmm. heart. I want that mind. Yeah. God's better than money or fame or status, or power, or, you know, all, all, the, all the good food and wine you could ever consume, right? This is this is what made it possible for Jesus to go to the cross, because for the joy set before him of glorifying the Father and doing the Father's will and bearing fruit that lasts, for that joy he endured the cross and scorned its shame. So, yeah, I think we all can grow in generosity. I think we all can grow more into being givers and less being takers, and and it the 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 root <laughs> of that is coming to recognize that God it is our reward, He is our inheritance, and and knowing Him uh, in a deep intimate way is better than everything else.
0: Gosh, I'm reluctant to even ask you another question because I feel like it's <laughs> a good. I had one more question for you though, and I because that is such a great place to end. But but how might it be harder for us? to give of our time than our money?
1: Well, you know, I mean, the the Silicon Valley upper middle class lifestyle is expensive, right? It takes a lot of mm-hmm. money. And because it doesn't it take money, that means people are working tails off, right? So there isn't much excess time uh, to uh, do all the work that, that, that we're putting in. And if you have kids and you're spending hours investing in them, in them, far more hours than our parents invested in us, right? Yes. If you don't have kids, you probably work more and you spend more time driving and Everyone wants to take advantage of the beauty and the fun around us—the mountains, the oceans, the city, wine country, etc. Right? So it turns out we might actually have more surplus money than surplus time. So mm. it can be easier to write a check than to show up somewhere. Right? It's much easier. It's much easier to write a check once than commit to giving away two hours hours a week over the next year. I mean that that is just mm. terrifying uh, to people. <laughs> It's funny you know, how time and money have an interesting relationship because we use money to buy us time, right? It can mm-hmm. be uh, paying to, to go uh, to use the fast track lane, right, or hiring a cleaning service or using DoorDash food, delivery, whatever. We want more time, and we spend money right. to get it. You know, but what's interesting? I've never heard of people buying time in order to serve with that time, in order to give that time away. You know, like I, I've never never heard of people getting mm. a cleaning service so they could go out and volunteer more. Typically, people mm. are buying buying time so that they can enjoy more leisure with that time. Um, but I think this is yeah. an interesting idea to buy time in order to give time away to others. And um, I think it's so strange because it seems easier. It seems um, more effective probably to give money, but but giving out of our comfortable surplus is not what God intends for us, right? That's that's not what mm. that's not what the Father, Son, and Spirit did, right? God blesses us that we might bless others. So again, and, and I want to make wanna make very, very clear, should enjoy his g- gifts, right? And the way that we enjoy mm. his his is to use them and, and to, to be giving him thanks and praise for them as we enjoy them, but they are not ours for us to hoard or cling to, and they certainly are not given to us so that we would go out and use people to get more of them. Mm -hmm. Instead, we have been given these things to enjoy and bring God glory and bless others. Freely we've been given, so freely
0: we should give. And we've been given so much, too. Um, we have. Challenging sermon and a, and a really good one, Bob. I appreciate, um, appreciate the sermon, appreciate your time this morning. Thanks, Matt. The title of Bob's sermon is People, Power, and Fear. It's part of our sermon series from the book of Nehemiah. You can find that sermon and all of our sermons and this podcast on iTunes and Spotify and on our website at gracesouthbay.com. You can also find a link on our website to ask questions for this podcast. We'd love to have you join us Sunday mornings for in-person outdoor worship. We meet at 9 a.m. in the courtyard of Crossroads Bible Church in San Jose. And we have just relaunched our kids program. So come to church, bring your kids, and enjoy in-person worship. If you can't join us for in-person worship, we are live streaming our service on Facebook and YouTube. And of course, you if you can't watch it live, you can always watch it anytime afterwards. We're really glad that you've been tuning into these Podcasts, and we hope that these conversations are helping you develop a closer relationship with Jesus. If you have questions about the Christian faith or just need someone to talk to, we've got pastors, elders, youth leaders, and a women's care team ready to help, or just an email or a phone call away. If you have a prayer request, you can also go directly to our website at gracesouthbay.com and submit your request using the prayer button at the top of the website. And if you're new to Grace South Bay, we would encourage you to fill out the Connect card and one of our pastors will reach out to you. We'll be back next week with another episode of the GSB podcast. So stay tuned, stay connected, and be encouraged knowing that nothing can separate you from God's love. We look forward to our next time together. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks for listening.